Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Well, welcome into Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to the first Weekend Ag Matters program of 2024. Mark Magnuson, Riley Smith, Russ Parker all joining us later in the program. Let's go ahead and run down a few of the top stories we followed this week. Well, the forecast is mixed for U.S. red meat export potential in 2024. Erin Borer is Vice President of Economic Analysis with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and she said the numbers do look better for U.S. pork. On the pork side, it's been really strong growth or even rebound in exports in 2023, about an 8% increase, and then expecting and forecasting a further increase in pork exports in 2024, possibly around another 4% gain off of the increase in 2023. When it comes to global pork production, Borer says that U.S. pork is well positioned for further growth. On the supply side in really both Europe and in China, what's happened is Europe's production has declined by about 2.8 million metric tons or by about 12%. If we look at their 2021 peak production compared to where it's going to end this year, but it lined up exactly with China's decrease in imports of pork. So they will have declined about the same, about 2.8 million tons lower than at their peak. And in 2024, talking to European producers, there was not much optimism for a rebound whatsoever. There is a chance that China's production moderates in 2024. It's hard to get excited about that at this moment. We're definitely still watching and not putting our hopes on it. Of course, on the other hand, beef faced several challenges last year, and Borer expects that to continue into the new year. I see 2024 as the real rationing of demand for U.S. beef because we know production is going to decline further. And so you're looking at a domestic consumer versus our international consumers and who's going to bid more. I hear often the perception that, well, we're producing less beef. We don't need to export as much anyway. And that couldn't be farther from the truth, especially when we need to enable higher prices across the whole supply chain to send the signal to rebuild the herd. And that was Aaron Bohr of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, American Farm Bureau Federation is going to have a policy meeting, obviously, during their annual convention this year in Salt Lake City. Coming up in just a few weeks, AFBF President Zippy Duvall said the top priority is getting a farm bill. Well, it's critical that Congress pass a bipartisan farm bill early this year. We can't afford any further delays in getting an updated farm bill that would address our modern challenges facing our farmers and ranchers across America. Farm bill matters well beyond the farm. It addresses food security, sustainability, to nutrition programs, and all of these programs benefit the nation as a whole. That's just some of the stories we followed this week on iowaagnet.com, where you can find all of our news stories for the week and as well as our market programs. That's it for me. Russ Parker comes in now with his faith-based food for thought. I had a revolting development the other day. I got a message from my computer telling me that there was no more room on my hard drive. So I called my computer guy and he said, Russ, you've got two options. You can clean up, empty out, and erase some of those files to create some more room or get a new computer with a larger hard drive. Isn't that the solution for a lot of things? For example, I was vacuuming some water the other day with a shop vac and suddenly the motor changed its pitch. 
signaling to me that no more water could go in. The vac was full, and the only way to allow more water in was to empty the tank. And there are lots of other things that follow this same pattern. The garbage can, the refrigerator, the freezer. And I'll bet you can think of some other examples. Like, sorry, I can't drink anymore. My bladder is full and needs to be emptied. Or, we can't flush until the septic tank gets emptied. Or, the tub is so full, you'll need to take some water out because there's no way that you can get in without creating a flood. The point here, again, is in order to enjoy the full function of these experiences, they need to have room to hold more or requiring emptying. In this new year, we're going to be bombarded with all kinds of things designed to fill up our lives to the point of overflowing. This is exactly what the world wants, to have us so full that we can't hold anymore. So today, right now, and every day, let's make a point of emptying ourselves and allow that space to be filled by things that are part of his world. Let us start by recalling the words of King David in Psalm 63. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, and I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. Food for Thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ, and that's going to do it here for segment one of Weekend Ag Matters. We're going to take a quick break, and then Mark Magnuson will be here to keep us going on the show. Stay with us here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. A new year brings new opportunities for Iowa soybean farmers. From biofuels and policy to a changing market landscape, many factors impact the value of Iowa soybean crop. Learn about these trends and more on January 30th by attending Farm Forward, powered by the Iowa Soybean Association. Register today at iasoybeans.com and position your farm for success in 2024 and beyond. The Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We are at Trade Talk at NAFB 2023, and I'm with Kim Tudor of BASF, and we're here to talk fungicide today, Kim. And you told me before we started here today, your area of expertise is corn. What diseases are we specifically targeting here uh, I know there's a lot to think about, but what are top of mind right now as far as disease pressure? Good morning, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. I would say for corn growers, probably the disease that's most top of mind that's that's been a, you know a ton of conversation around is actually tar spot. You know, tar spot was first discovered in the U.S. back in 2015, but since then it's spread to upwards of 19 states. And you know, the interesting thing about tar spot is if we think back over this past season. In general, the Midwest was pretty hot and dry. You know, there were pockets that got some rain showers towards the end of the season. But what's interesting to me is that if you look at that IPM pipe map for tar spot, the disease has continued to spread. And I think what's important for folks to keep in mind is that when you think back to that disease triangle, there are three pieces you need. You need the host, corn. We got plenty of that, right? You need the pathogen. Well, we know we've got it. And you just need the right environmental conditions. And so 
I think it's important for folks to not take that wait and see approach and to be proactive, scout early, scout often, and make sure that you're having conversations about those proactive and preventative fungicide applications. Because when it comes to tar spot, by the time you've seen a lesion, that disease could have been inside that plant for upwards of 14 to 20 days. So inside that plant wreaking havoc, uh, decreasing photosynthesis, and really robbing you of your yield potential. So unfortunately, tar spot falls into that category of one of these diseases that can be very much affecting your yields, affecting your plant health, and you don't even know it until it's a little bit too late. Exactly. And that's why Veltima fungicide is going to be your best tool in the battle against tar spot. So you're going to get that incredible disease control, right, against tar spot and other diseases corn, gray leaf spot, anthracnose, the blights, northern and southern blight, as well as rust. But you're also going to get environmental stress mitigation. So in the event that it's another hot and dry year, a product like Veltima is going to help your plants stomates. Think of it like the pores on your skin stay open, right? Better gas exchange, cooler canopy temperatures. Um, but you're also going to get improved growth efficiency. So helping those plants better absorb and utilize nitrogen and water and other nutrients that ultimately is going to drive yield and going to help protect your investment. And Kim, what I learned, I had a chance to go to the BASF field day in Story City this fall. And I know that moisture we have found is obviously a driving factor in tar spots. And I believe I had this right that one of the experts there from BASF said that it can take as little as seven hours of having just some moisture, whether it's dew or a little bit of rain, to help tar spot develop. Is that true? It's absolutely true. You only need about four to seven hours of leaf wetness. So if you think about it, you know, we don't, in a, in a year in particular where it's really hot and dry, when do you get moisture? Well, you may not have much, but you think about it when it, those temperatures cool down at night and that condensation on the plant. So a lot of times the infection can start at night. And that's what a lot of folks don't think about because they're in bed and they're asleep, right? Um, but those infections can start then. And that's really when that disease can get rolling. So no, it doesn't take much. So in addition to tar spot, what other diseases have you been focused on? Well, I would say in the 2023 season, southern rust did start to blow into the Midwest, but it came in kind of late, so not a ton of impact there. Is that, a, is that a disease we have in Iowa? It comes in really late. Yes, it basically blows in from the south. Um, you know, so it, it is dependent on the, the wind patterns and whether we're having kind of an El Nino year or a La Nina year. But rust is something that folks do keep in mind. Gray leaf spot is also something uh, to keep uh, an eye out for, as well as the blights, anthracnose, stalk rots, things like that. But I think tar spot is the one that's most top of mind for folks. So are there any other mitigation tools that you would like to tell our growers back in Iowa about ways that they can help fight these diseases? Yeah, it's again, and it comes back to having that proactive approach. Don't, um, don't wait until you see a lesion, right? Have conversations with your agronomist, with your retailers, with your BASF representative to learn about our products. So if you're a corn grower, let's, let's start asking about Veltima and corn and for soybeans, Revitech or Revilock. And to learn more, they can go to uh, Revitech.com, Revilock.com or Veltima.com. She is Kim Tudor with BASF. Kim, is there anything else you'd like to let our growers back in Iowa know about what BASF is working on for the future and helping them to continue to grow those yield numbers and in improve their plant health, or I should say, keep their plants healthy. For sure. I would say uh, BASF is committed to helping farmers um, get the most out of every acre. And we're always trying to bring products to market to address their issues and the, the, the battles that they're having to deal with every day. Um, so again, uh, know and feel confident that the products that we bring to market are going to help your plants mitigate stress regardless of the year and protect your investment. Kim Tudor, BASF, thank you so much for the time here at Trade Talk. Have a great rest of the show. Thanks, you too.
Thank you once again to Kim Tudor of BASF. And that wraps up segment number two in this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. Up next, Riley Smith will close out this week's show with Keith Burns and Greg Judy, who will be featured guests and speakers at the upcoming Practical Farmers of Iowa yearly conference. That's coming up next in segment number three here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2024 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast as winter weather can change in the blink of an eye and vary greatly between regions. And be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. You can always check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone or downloading the 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. The Practical Farmers of Iowa Conference will be coming up later on this month. I had the chance to speak with a couple of the speakers they will have at that event First up is Keith Burns. He's a cover crop pioneer who will be speaking on how cover crop practices need to also make sense financially for your operation, not just sustainably. Keith, great talking with you today. Uh, Of course, your speech is going to be on soil health, how it makes sense agronomically for us to focus on that. But there there is still, of course, the financial side of it. So just kind of tell us a little bit about that angle that you've been looking at the uh, big picture from and and kind of, uh, you know, why it's important for farmers to be thinking about that financial side of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Riley, for having me on the program. You know, soil health makes sense, and that's part of the title. You know, we all know we can see the benefits for the environment, for preventing erosion. But the only way it really will work for farmers if it makes economic sense as well. And so that's why it's titled, you know, soil health makes sense, but doesn't make dollars. And so what we'll be doing is we'll be taking kind of a big picture look at the economics of implementing soil health practices uh, and how that affects a farmer's bottom line. And so we'll be looking at uh, practices like no-till, the adoption and integration of cover crops, uh, and then also an expanded rotation. So if you just go from corn and beans uh, to corn, beans, and wheat, and then what does that allow you to do? How does that affect the bottom line as far as both income as well as opportunities. So we'll be looking at uh, specific things like, uh, you know, the cost of tillage. Uh, we'll be looking at the herbicide cost. Does that go up or down? Fertilizer use, does that go up or down? Uh, water, you know, how much water can you save or do, do you lose and how does that affect uh, uh, both yield and profitability? Uh, we'll be looking at the value of soil organic matter. We'll be looking at how valuable is the soil that doesn't erode away if you switch to some of these soil health practices. Uh, And that'll be utilizing some of the good data that uh, Rick Cruz right there in Iowa uh, has gathered with the Iowa Daily Erosion Project. Uh, And then also be looking at the value or the potential value of grazing if you can integrate livestock more into the operation, both if you own the livestock, which I know not everybody does, but also Uh, What could the value be if you just uh, let someone else come in and graze on your land so you don't have to have fences, you don't have to have livestock? So it'll be a fairly comprehensive look uh, at a lot of different things, but just really looking at that financial impact of adopting some of these soil health practices. 
And now, of course, uh, we don't want to uh, uh, spoil the whole presentation for next month uh, before we get to that point. But, you know, obviously, you know, when it comes to thinking about that financial sense for everything, and a lot of farmers know that already, and I think it's kind of a big message when it comes to uh, sustainable agriculture is that we do know that it's different for, um, you know, each farmer agronomically. And I'm sure financially, you know, it's the same thing. It's going to be a different scenario for everyone. It is, you know, the context of your situation matters a lot. And, you know, for, for that reason, I'm in the presentation that I'm doing, I'm not factoring in government payments or other incentives that you might get from like a carbon sequestration, because, you know, you never know if those are going to come through or not. And these practices need to pay for themselves uh, agronomically and not just be subsidized, you know, through an incentive program. So I think the incentives are the cherry on top. Uh, and it can be even more lucrative or more advantageous, but we're not going to really be considering that uh, because, you know, uh, again, th these practices should pay for themselves. So, you know, as we go through the talk, not everybody's going to adopt all the practices. So we'll look at each one of them individually and how that might affect uh, the bottom line uh, on a practice by practice basis. You know, I think when you talk about that side of things, you know, incentives are true to their name. They're, they're incentives to get you into it, but it's not necessarily, you know, the be-all, end-all when it comes to those practices. And something I've, you know, heard a lot talking with cover crops, no-till uh, uh, specialists and agronomists is that, you know, sustainable agriculture is one of those things that on both the agronomic side and the financial side, you're going to get out of it what you put in, right? Well, it really is. And, you know, a lot of it boils down to the management and I'm going to very specifically talk about I'm basing the numbers that I found, you know, out within the industry. It's going to be based on good management because there's no doubt. And there's been stories out there in the news and the press of, you know, somebody planted a cover crop and it cost them $250 an acre and lost yield. And that certainly can happen, but, but, but that's not the cover crop's fault. That's more uh, of circumstances or, you know, management that wasn't applied like it should have been. So we're going to be looking at, you know, what does it take to manage this system? Because it's certainly, if you try to implement no-till, cover crops, uh, diverse rotations, without also applying the appropriate management, uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that you will lose money, and you probably shouldn't do it. Uh, but if you come in with the mindset of, I need to learn some things, I need to adjust some things, we need to manage things differently, then it has a lot of potential for increasing profitability. And, and, and really, that's the huge value of Practical Farmers of Iowa and other groups and networks like that, because you can you can go to these things and you can learn from the management, both successes, but almost more importantly, the mistakes that other people who have come before you have made. And if you'll open your ears and your eyes and, and look at what those mistakes are, you can avoid a lot of those in, in starting to adopt some of these practices. Keith, lots of great information today, and of course, looking forward to uh, hearing that keynote address uh, next month at the Practical Farmers of Iowa uh, conference here in Des Moines. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know before we uh, wrap things up for today? Uh, just, yeah, looking forward to seeing everybody in Des Moines. I, I'm the keynote, but there's tons of other good speakers. I'd really encourage people uh, to check out that agenda. Uh, there's probably somebody speaking on a very specific topic uh, that is right in the wheelhouse of, of what individual farmers will need to know or want to know. So check out the full agenda and hope to see you there. Greg Judy is the other speaker I've had the chance to visit with so far. 
and uh, he will be giving a presentation on some pasture grazing uh, management opportunities and how that it can be used to promote wildlife development in your pasture. Greg, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today, and of course your uh, speaking topic is developing wildlife habitat with grazing practices. Uh, so just start us off with a bit of an explanation as to why it's important to create that habitat for wildlife once again. Yeah, so uh, it's great to be with you today. Um, you know, we run a multi-generational farm here in Missouri where we focus on basically managing in sync with nature. So what we mean by that is trying to build diversity on our farm with you know wildlife. And what we have found is the more we work with that and work with nature instead of beating her up, it, at the end of the day, it's an economic, it, it makes good sense uh, economically, uh, financially, and environmentally. There's a lot of people now that are very concerned about the landscape and, you know, we can produce food and still benefit wildlife. And, you know, I, I like wildlife. Our landowners, we lease all together. We have 19 farms. We own six of those now. And our landowners, uh, they like seeing wildlife. And so with our grazing practices, uh, I'm going to go into that, how we use our grazing practices to actually make wildlife better, draw it onto the farm, and have more quality wildlife as well. Right, and, uh, you know, it kind of ties into that whole, uh, as you've mentioned, mimicking the natural cycle of the land and, and kind of, you know, using those grazing techniques to mimic that uh, is obviously, a, you know, a bit of a, I don't want to say unique idea, perhaps, um, where, you know, thinking about that wildlife and, and letting that uh, land be where it could naturally be is uh, very much a benefit there, right? It really is. I mean, if we look at our input costs today, um, you know, you look at everything, lime, fertilizer, fuel, everything's going skyrocket. And unless we learn to use animals, uh, our livestock, to build healthy soil and also uh, build healthy wildlife populations on our farms, we can have both. We can have our cake and eat it, too. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about. I mean, it's it's wonderful uh, vocation to be in when you learn how to manage in sync with nature. And uh, at the end of the day, it's a win-win. And, Greg, obviously we don't want to uh, uh, spoil too much from your speech later this month, but just at a basic level, what are some of these technique, uh, techniques that you're looking at that would uh, kind of, you know, are probably, I would assume, uh, easier than someone imagined to kind of encourage that uh, wildlife habitat? Yeah, so it does take management. Um, and what we're talking about here is proper placement of the animals, uh, rotating the animals, adjusting how many you have, how long they're there, setting up your water and your fencing, and, you know, if you get it set up correctly, your farm is only being used, a portion of it, you might say one day out of 30 in the springtime. Well, the wildlife gets access to it the other 29 days. And in the summertime when it's hot and dry, you've got to adjust your management. And, again, it's about rest. Rest is a huge tool in your grazer's toolbox. And I'm going to go into depth on how to do that. All right, Greg, and of course, uh, we'll go ahead and talk about you a little bit as well, uh, having your Green Pastures Farm uh, near Clark, Missouri. Uh, but something else as well is you have that YouTube channel where you uh, share this information with people. Uh, you know, What's that been like to uh, kind of have that audience and, and get in touch with that audience on uh, some of these practices and, and kind of spread the knowledge on that? 
Yeah, so it's been a really uh, life changer for us. I mean, I started my YouTube channel in 2019 just to uh, basically uh, share what we're doing here on the farm, our mistakes, uh, our successes, and I never would have dreamed that it took off like it did. I mean, we're up to 116,000 subscribers, uh, about 3.6 million minutes a month now being watched, and we're hitting it all over the world. I mean, there's people all over the world that email me every day now, and, you know, they're thankful for us sharing and, you know, teaching them, keeping them from making some of the mistakes that we made. But uh, there's a huge resurgence of people coming back to the land, and a lot of them are homesteaders. These are people that own 5 to 15, 20 acres, but they don't have a clue how to run livestock or even how to start. And so they can go to my channel, and, you know, we, we explain you know, it's just, you got to watch that channel. It's Greg Judy, Regenerative Rancher. That's the name of it. So, yeah, we're we're cranking along on that. And I've got three books out now that I've written, and those are all on our website, which is greenpasturesfarm.net. And those books uh, detail are where we started. And each time I've written a new book, I've learned more practices, and it's it's really helped a lot of people. And, you know, we're, we're thankful for that. Greg, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you at the uh, Practical Farmers of Iowa annual conference later on this month. And uh, uh, good luck as you continue with that YouTube channel and uh, that you know, kind of advocacy effort on that side of things as well. Well, thank you, sir. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, hope to see everybody at the, the, uh, grazing, the Practical Farmers of Iowa grazing conference. It's going to be a good one. They're talking about having over a 1,000 people there, so I'm looking forward to it. Again, both Keith and Greg will be giving their speeches later on this month at the Practical Farmers of Iowa annual conference here in Des Moines. That will be from January 19th through the 20th. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Mark Magnuson, and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith. Wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.